today uh, I'm excited to continue Pastor Danny's message series, uh, Modern Family Vintage Values. And as a student pastor, uh, for now nearly 11 years, I've had the privilege of kind of just observing uh, Christian homes. And I've had an opportunity to observe the church. And, and so today we're going to look uh, at, at really God's plan for the church and the home. And we're calling today Home Improvement. I don't know if you know the television show back from the 90s, Home Improvement. Uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Anybody remember that? Anybody? Any t- yeah, okay, thank you. Um, I was a teenager. Uh, when that show was on, I was actually in middle school, if that dates me. But I remember uh, watching that show every week with my parents. And uh, it's a great show. It was about a family, about this guy that had like a tool show, which is like every man's dream, I guess, that you just get to get on TV and talk about tools. And he had his sidekick, Al. And Al was like the opposite of Tim because Tim was kind of dumb, okay? Tim uh, just was funny, and Al was just, his, even his last name was Borland, because he was kind of boring, okay? And here's what, Tim, here's what Tim would do. Tim would be up there, and they would be supposed to build this project for Benford Tools, and uh, they would go, and they would go to build it, and Al would be like, here's the plan, here's what we need to do, and, and Tim would always say, oh, we need to build it bigger, faster, or, you know, a man, okay? Like, who needs instructions if you're a man? We need to screw things up first, and so Tim, Tim the Toolman Taylor was the epitome of that. And this morning, I want us to look at maybe some lessons we can learn from Tim the Toolman Taylor. And you can say, Chad, what does Tim the Toolman Taylor have to do with the home? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, we will discover the answer uh, together. Deuteronomy 6, we will start in verse number 4. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here, before we go any further today, before we can really unpack God's plan for the church and the home, we have to understand this, that God is the authority. Everything that is said following from God is established in the fact that he is telling Israel, he's making this great Shema declaration that I am the one true God. There are no other lowercase gods. There are no one that stands in my place. I am the sole authority. And this morning, I honestly believe that if we, as followers of Jesus, are going to make the difference that God wants us to make, if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, we all have to get to a point of recognizing that He is the authority. That he is not this sidekick. He is not our co-pilot. He is not a passenger. He is not a financial advisor. He is the authority. Makes me think back to when I was in middle school. Back in the day, I played basketball and I was not good, okay? But I was in junior high. So in junior high in Mississippi, I went to a 3A high school, which means you got to play whatever sport you wanted to play, and you didn't get cut because they didn't have enough kids. And so I played junior high basketball. And I remember we had a coach, Coach Simpson, who was a disciplinarian. And I remember he used to challenge us as 8th grade guys, as much as you can challenge 8th grade guys, okay? He would say, now listen, you need to behave in the classroom, and if you don't, there will be punishment. And we were like, okay, we were scared of Coach Simpson. But one day, Miss Smith was her English teacher, and she was a really sweet lady. Miss Smith, oh, she was an angel. She was great, and she had a substitute one day. 
See, you, you've been there, right? You know what it's like when the teacher's gone and there's a substitute. And before Miss Smith left, she had told us, now I'm going to have a substitute. And you know I have the same expectations of you while the sub is here that, that when I'm not here. In fact, I want you to act better than when I'm here. And of course, us junior high guys and our wealth of knowledge uh, and our wealth of perspective did not listen to her. And so our substitute teacher came in and all us guys decided to sit together, disrupt the assigned seating that we had, and we were very disruptive. We were not good. And so, uh, and again, we did this to Miss Smith, and Miss Smith was a sweet lady. What's the worst that could happen? She would come back and she would be like, shame on you boys for being so disruptive, you know, you don't need to do that again. And so, anyway, she comes back. And Miss Smith comes in, and she's very stern. And she talks about how disappointed she is on, in us, and we're all like, yeah, we're getting, you know, the words. And she was like, and by the way, I need, uh, she named all these different guys, and they just so happened to be on the basketball team. And she said, we need you, uh, I need you to come outside. And we're like, okay, what's about to happen? You know, and we're like, is Miss Smith really going to paddle us? Like, really? She wasn't, but Coach Simpson was waiting and I remember walking up and seeing Coach Simpson with the Board of Education in his right hand. <laughs> and he lined us up along the lockers. And I was one of the last ones along the lockers. So I got to hear, pow pow! That was number one out of like 12 of us, okay? So he comes down the line, and I hear big dudes, bigger than me, uh, that were going, oh, like, I mean, he was delivering the lumber, okay, and he got to the end of, end of the line, and he got to me, and I remember experiencing pains I have never experienced on my bottom, and you know those hard plastic and wooden chairs in a school, I couldn't sit down the rest of the day. But I remember that moment, and I remember Coach Simpson, after he had done this, he said, guys, I've asked you to conduct yourselves in a respectable manner in the classroom, and Miss Smith had expectations for y'all, and you fell short. And so guys, do not let it happen again. It was at that moment that he was establishing authority for us. Because what had happened is we, as eighth grade basketball players, had bucked authority thought that we were okay, thought that we could do things our way, that we didn't have to listen to those that were placed in authority over us, and we were reminded, here God is not bringing out the paddle. God is just preemptively saying to us, I'm the authority. Remember, I am the one true God. And he knew that Israel had a propensity to follow after other things, like you and I have a propensity to follow after other things. Now, we might say today, like, well, Chad, we, I believe that there is one God, one way to heaven, we'll praise God. But I think our great issue is not polytheism like they faced with all these other different little statue gods, but we craft our own idols, and that may be work. Work might be that thing that so easily encaptures us. It might be the authority in your life. Well, what do you mean it's the authority in my life, Chad? Well, if that's the thing that takes precedence in you, making sure that work gets done and things get put on the back burner, well, then that's your authority. If school is your authority, or friends are your authority, or a hobby is your authority, there can be lots of things that capture our attention and take us away from God, and God simply says to us, I'm the authority.
I am the God. And it's based on this authority that he delivers what I believe to be his plan for the church and the home. So let's look. Verse number 5 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Well, here we see that God has a plan for the church. And here he tells us after he says, hey, I'm the authority. I am the God. Here's what you need to do. He said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You need to love me with every single fiber of your being. And y'all, this is like a devotion that you and I, it's hard for us to understand. Because he is talking about this complete and total devotion to him. And in this complete and total devotion, I believe that that's where the church comes in. We at Great Hills Baptist Church is a radiant church. It is our job to provide opportunities for you to experience and love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. I believe we do that by first doing what we're doing right now, gathering in worship, the whole upward aspect. That we come together, we sing songs, we open the word, we're challenged with it, and God challenges us to look on Him and praise Him. But then we just got out of Bible life, where we dove into the Word with other believers. We were challenged mentally with the Word. We were challenged with theological concepts that go a little bit deeper. And so we were able to go inward. And then we're challenged like our pastor and missions pastor is doing right now to live outward lives on mission, to go to the nations, proclaiming the Word of God. Y'all, that's the church's role. We provide those opportunities for believers to come together, worship, and be mobilized for the kingdom. And so as a church, we teach you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It's kind of like, you know, going to your favorite restaurant. For me, that's Chewy's. Amen. You know, that's just, you say Chewy's, and it just makes you feel better about yourself. And you may not like Chewy's, and if you do... We're going to pray for you, okay, because Chewy's is amazing. But here's the thing, as much as I love Chewy's, as much as I love that creamy jalapeno with my chips, and as much as I love whatever I order on their menu, okay, there would be a problem if I ate at Chewy's breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. There would be a problem. There would be a problem if, or if I said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat at Chewy's one time during the week. I'm just going to eat there once, and I'm not eating another meal because it is so good. Like, Chewy's is so good. Like, I just don't want to put anything else in my mouth. And the problem with that is, you're like, Chad, well, well you, would, you would be malnourished after a while. And I would. And I believe we've got a lot of spiritually malnourished Christians because we treat church like our favorite restaurant. We come back every week. We enjoy it. Like, it's good. We enjoy what's happening here. But at the end of the day, we find ourselves wanting something more. We find ourselves hungry throughout the week. And I believe it's because we've altered God's plan for the church. What we've done is we've said, okay, God, the church is supposed to help me love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. So that must mean that that is, that is who is supposed to disciple me. That, that That's who's supposed to make me a follower of Jesus. And I believe, as we shift the focus to parents today, that that's what a lot of parents have done with the church. As they've said... 
You're supposed to teach my child to love the Lord, his or her God, with all their heart, all their soul, and all their strength. And you know what? As a student ministry at Great Hills Baptist Church, we have a very specific process of supporting you and making disciples that make disciples. But let me be as clear as I can with you as a student pastor. We cannot adequately disciple your student. We can't. Because you're sending them here one day a week. Well, Chad, I'll send them there on Wednesday nights too. You're sending them here two days a week. You're sending them to their favorite restaurant, essentially. And you're not allowing them to be fed throughout the remainder of their time. And God even says to the people, hey, and these things need to be on your heart. This needs to be the core of who you are. So as a church, okay, don't miss me. We are doing everything in our power to help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. But it doesn't end there. In fact, it cannot end there. It cannot stop with us gathering with our believers and saying, Woohoo, I've got my spiritual nourishment for the week. It's so much bigger than that, which God then shifts his focus to the home and how the church and the home come together. Look at verse 7. He says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Here we see God's plan for the home. I'm telling you, this as a dad encourages me greatly and challenges me. Because what it shows me is that my responsibility as a dad is to disciple Cooper and Cohen. That's my job. My job is to expose them to the church where the church encourages them and supplements. But more than anything, it's my job that when I'm at home to be investing in them the things of God. He says, teach them diligently to your children. And look where he tells us to do it, okay? Listen, this is, just, this is when we're supposed to talk about the things of God according to God. Now, don't get mad at me, okay, before any of you are like looking at me like, how dare that youth pastor tell me when I should talk about the things of God? Get mad at God, okay? If you don't like what he has to say, this is what God, y'all, this is foundational. This was literally written thousands of years ago to the people of Israel at the onset. Okay, God didn't say, hey, you know what? Families have just gotten screwed up. We need to come up with a plan. He didn't say that. It's not like he like sent an addendum to us right now that said, you know, well, marriage is not going well. Families are breaking up all over the place. Children are rebellious. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll throw an addendum in. No, from the beginning, God said, I have a plan. I have a plan for what needs to happen to make disciples that make disciples. And this is where he says we should talk about the things of God. He says, when you sit in your house, translated, when you sit in your house. Like this is one of those things I appreciate, God, it's not like vague for us. Like, well, what does that mean, you know? Do any of you, I don't know, I mean, I might be the, we might be the only family that does this, but do you ever just sit on a couch at your house and do nothing? Yeah, do you ever maybe sit on your couch and turn on a television or maybe read a book? You do something to pass the time? 
Well, at that moment, God's saying, talk about me. Talk about me. Talk about these things I've given. Talk about me. Mom, Dad, what that means is when you're sitting at home and you're sitting around the living room, instead of Johnny going over here and Sally going over here, or you sitting in the same room but you don't talk, you talk, but you don't just talk to talk, you talk about the things of God. You bring up God in your home. And you might say, Chad, I'm not a great theologian. Here he doesn't tell us to be great theologians. He just says, talk about me. Just talk about me. When you're sitting down, talk about the things God's showing you. As a parent, you're in Bible life today. If God taught you something, tell your child about it. Just tell them about it. If you're in a worship gathering and God gives you a word, tell your children about it. Here's a crazy thing. If you are having time with Jesus on your own and God gives you a word, tell your kids about it. Tell them about the God of the universe that has changed your life and continues to change your life. Talk about it. But he doesn't just want us to do it when we're sitting at home. He says, when you walk by your way. So if we ever casually go on a walk, just talk to your kids about Jesus. If you're ever riding in the car, I'm telling you what, the car is a great discipleship vehicle, literally, because you're trapped. Well, you're like, well, Chad, you're kind of not trapped. Well, if you exit abruptly, it's not going to end well, okay? So you are trapped. You're in the car. But here's what I've observed kind of happens, because I take road trips with these teenagers all the time, okay? They flip out when we say they can't have their iPhones on a trip. They, like, you would think, that we were the worst human beings known to man, especially if it's a long road trip. They're like, what are we going to do? What are, we're going to be on the road for 12 hours, Chad. What are we going to do? I don't know. There's 12 other people in the vehicle. Surely we can come up with conversation for 12 hours. But here's what happens. They get on their iPhone. You know what mom and dad says? Well, it keeps them occupied. Just keeps them occupied. They're not going to be arguing with me. They're not going to be arguing with each other. When God is saying, hey, listen, don't let them put the iPod in. Talk to them about me. Talk to them about me, mom and dad. What that means for you, student, don't put the iPod in. Don't put it in. Chad, listen, my parents annoy me. You know what? I got a feeling a lot less families would get annoyed if we talked about the things of God on a regular basis. If Christ was supreme in our home, if Christ were supreme in our homes, church, authentically the authority in our homes, that when we sat down, we talked about God. When we went about our way, we talked about God. I've got a feeling that our homes would be revolutionized because we would not be getting so short with each other. Because we wouldn't be worried about ourselves, we'd be focused on God. We wouldn't be worried about meeting our own needs, we'd be worried about proclaiming Jesus. And so, we need to do it when we go about the way. Capture the time on the way to lunch today. On the way to lunch. Talk about what happened. Talk about Bible life. Talk about your quiet time. And then when you're at lunch, keep talking about it. Just, keep, just talk about God. Not because Chad says it, but because God has delivered this expectation as the authority. But he has a couple other places. He says, 
when you lie down and when you rise. That's translated when you go to sleep and when you wake up. Basically, he's saying any moment that you have, talk about the things of God. Any waking moment you have, talk about the things of God. You know what? One of my favorite things that I get to do every night, every single night, is getting to talk Cooper in. And we pray every single night together. And we pray for things that are important. We even, from the marriage conference we went to, we've even talked about what's the best thing that happened to you today, Cooper? Like what was your favorite thing about today? Let's thank God for it. Well, what was the toughest thing that you, you had to do today? What was the worst thing? And here lately, Cohen has, been, Cohen has asthma, and so we've had a few scares over time, and it is so sweet to see Cooper pray to God for his little brother. Like, he just wants God to take care of his little brother. And y'all, there is no greater moment for me as a dad than that moment. Because as a dad, my job is to pass on to him the things of God, to make prayer a normal part of his life. But if I'm not showing him that, it's not going to happen. If I'm not modeling that for Cooper, I can't expect it to happen. Y'all, we've got great Bible life teachers here. We've got great staff here. But I cannot expect them in the amount of time they have with my son to teach him how to adequately love God. I can't expect that. And there's a reason I can't expect it. One, there's some stats. You're like, okay, Chad, listen, teenagers hate their parents. They just hate them. Like, parents hate their teenagers, teenagers hate their parents. It's just normal. Do you not get this? Oh, really? USA Today, very secular newspaper, okay? Not, this is just teenagers. They surveyed teenagers, asked them who the most influential people in their lives were. 70% of those teenagers said their parents. 70% of American Teenagers say that the most influential people in their lives are their parents. Let that sink in for a little bit. Before we quickly dismiss the next generation to they only care about media, they only care about music, movies, celebrity, athletes, no. They long for the influence of mom and dad. They long for mom and dad to influence them. And the reason I have a problem with us messing up God's plan by saying, hey, would you disciple my student? Because if you are a Christian family, here's the the opportunity you have to capture with your students. On average in a year, parents have over 4,000 hours with their teenager. You know how many hours on average the church has? 40. That's one one-hundredth of the time. One one-hundredth of the time. And the church is supposed to adequately teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. It's kind of like when we play Where's Waldo? Anybody ever played that? Got the books back in the day? Well, here's a picture of what Where's Waldo looks like. And here's the object of the game. You find Waldo. And Waldo's got a striped little red and white shirt. And you look at that and you're like, how can you pick that out? It's hard. Because there's a whole lot of other stuff distracting, right? There's a whole lot of other stuff around that occupies your attention. And you have to really look 
to try to find Waldo. Y'all, I'm afraid that we are making disciples like it's Waldo. We're using our Waldo amount of the time to make disciples when mom and dad, you've got the rest of the page. The rest of the page is your time, and the church is Waldo. I just want Waldo to be a piece of the picture. I want Waldo to just be put in as a support to you guys, not because as a youth pastor I've got this great methodology, but because God says it. If we want to make disciples that make disciples, mom and dad, it is on you as a follower of Jesus. It's on you. And what we do as the church is supplements what you do at home. You better believe we're going to do everything in our power to make disciples that make disciples. But how awesome would it be if when you came to Sunday, it was just a shot in the arm? It was just an affirmation of what's already been happening at home. Y'all, this is not rocket science. This is basic. And this is basic expectations from the authority. But as God delivers this authoritative message to us, I think it's important for us to to see the last two verses. God God is fully aware of who we are and our shortcomings. So he says this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, God unpacks this really huge idea of his plan for the church and his plan for the home But listen, he gets it. He knows we need reminders. He says, by the way, make reminders for yourselves to do these things. You might say, Chad, if you really love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you shouldn't have to put reminders up. Okay? Imagine this with me for a second. Let's imagine there's a husband and wife. Husband desperately just is in love with his wife, just completely devoted to her. And he has never had an issue looking at inappropriate images of women on his computer screen. But he hears about a software that's available that he can put on his computer that will filter the images out. But more than that, if he ever goes to an inappropriate website, it will automatically send that link to his wife and other accountability partners. Imagine if he went to his wife and said, sweetie, listen, I've gotten this software because I love you so much that I don't ever want to be put in a potential position to look away from you. I highly doubt there would be any wife that was like, he doesn't love me. I mean, why would you have to put that on your computer to know? She would be like, oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you for demonstrating your devotion to me. Thank you for being proactive in protecting our marriage. Y'all, as Christians, we can be proactive in protecting our relationship to God. And he even says it. Listen, put reminders out there. You need to do this. So, hey, if you need to write a note to yourself to have this conversation with your family when you get home, put that reminder. There's a really cool thing about the iPhone called reminders that they have on there. You can even geotag it to where if you get to a certain location, it will remind you to do something. Like yesterday, I had to change our house filters. I put a reminder in three months ago to change our house filters. 
And it popped up as I was leaving my house yesterday. Chad, go change your house AC filters. It was really great. But then I thought, how awesome would it be if I reminded myself when I drove in at home at night, hey, talk to Cooper and Cohen and Brittany about God, what God's done for you today, Chad. If it reminded me at 8 o'clock every night when I get ready to tuck Cooper and Cohen in, hey, talk to Cooper and Cohen about the good things God's done for them today. Talk to them about the things that, God, that, that they're struggling with today. Or if I reminded myself at 9 o'clock, make sure to pray with Brittany today. Or if at 6 a.m. my reminder woke me up saying, Chad, go wake your boys up and pray with them today. If at 1.30 when they get out at OLC, when I go to pick them up, if I had a reminder that said, hey, Chad, ask Cooper what God taught him today. If on Sundays at 12.15 I got a reminder that said, hey, Chad, ask Cooper and Cohen about Bible life today. To me... That's technology that God uses to remind me to push my family toward Jesus. And my greatest fear as a youth pastor is that we've just been pointing fingers for a long time. And that's why so many kids leave the church. Because we point and we say, no, it's your job. No, it's your job. No, it's your job. No, it's your job. Here's the truth. It's our job. It's our job as a church to support families, to provide opportunities that push students toward Jesus and affirm the home. But in order for that to work perfectly, it requires us at home to be making disciples that make disciples, that God is the main thing. So let's go back to Tim and Al. The beauty of Al was this. Al never screwed up a project. Think about it. Al never like messed anything up on the show. Never. In fact, Al would always execute the plant almost perfectly to the T, and the project would turn out great. But in would come Tim. Tim would be like, that's not flashy enough. That's not quick enough. Let's do it this way. And Tim would inevitably mess it up. I'm afraid that God's given us a plan that we've said, well, that's a little bit too basic. That's a little bit too boring for me. I need to jazz it up. Can't we just make the church do that because that would be easier? And God says, I've got a plan that works, but you've got to do your part. You've got to commit to make disciples that make disciples, and it starts at home. So this morning, as we have a time of response, I'm about to pray, but I want to leave us with this question before we worship some more. What's happening in your home? Let's pray. Father God, we we come here today incredibly grateful for your word. God, as a dad, I am so grateful that you have a plan that God has been here since the onset. And so today, God, I don't know what needs to happen in this room. God, uh, I don't know if there needs to be repentance on mom and dad's part to say, I just have not been making much of Jesus at home. But God, I just ask that your spirit would just move as, as you see fit. And that God, that we would respond appropriately. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Families, I want to challenge you with something right now as we respond. Maybe you're here today and you hear this message and the, the reality for you is, You're not making disciples that make disciples at home. You're just not. 
And it may just be you've gotten busy. Maybe you've, other things have become the authority. But just in the pursuit of just life, you just you, you haven't been doing it. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. If God's really challenged you to, to do something different at home, I'm going to ask you to go find your child, your student, and bring them to the altar and pray with them. If you need to repent, if you need to ask for forgiveness for not making God the priority in the home, today is an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here and you haven't neglected it, but you just want to reaffirm that God is at the center of your home. I would encourage you, mom and dad, to bring your child down to the altar and just pray, recommitting your family to the things of God. And you may say, Chad, why do I need to do that? Because there's just something about us taking a step, walking down as a family and saying, God, this is our response to you. And so parents, we're gonna, I'm going to challenge you with that. You may be here and you may be a guest and say, I really like what's happening here. I like that you're championing the families. I like that you're outward. And I want to just be a part of what God's doing here. We're going to have pastors to receive you that can tell you how you can get plugged into what God's doing here. But let's stand and let's worship and let's respond as the body to this morning.